Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. This week, we're continuing our conversation with vocal coach Simone Di Felice with Ai già vinta la causa, the Count's aria from Le Nozze di Figaro, focusing on how to handle all the diphthongs and trifthongs that come up in Italian and the unaspirated T, K, and P. I've been reading a book by Jeff Colvin called Talent is Overrated, What Really Separates World-Class Performers from Everybody Else. And I have to say, it's changed the way I consciously think about practicing. Of course, I feel good that many of the techniques he mentions I've been taught over the years, but hearing it all again in this way has really made me refocus on some of the basics. There are so many useful points in this book that I'll probably mention it again, because I've taken copious notes as I read, which is kind of unusual for me. The first thing that I want to mention is his concept of deliberate practice, which I translate as don't practice mindlessly. If you don't know what the exercises your teacher gave you are for, ask. In working with a student this summer, I asked what exercises her teacher had given her for support, and she said, well, I don't think she's given me any for support. Of course, when I asked her teacher at lunch that afternoon, the answer was that she already had three separate exercises to do to develop support. Don't let yourself calmly glide along doing exercises unthinkingly. Make sure you know what your warm-ups and technical exercises are designed to develop, and when you practice them, be conscious of those elements. If you catch your mind wandering while you're practicing, either go do something else for a few minutes or start concentrating again. But the topic that really hit home for me was the set of questions he suggests to ask yourself when confronted with a problem. Roughly, the question is, Am I truly angry, or am I just upset by my own emotions and, my re and reacting to that? And the counter-question is roughly, is there a different strategy that I should be taking? Let's face it, we're in an extremely competitive field that is at the same time almost completely subjective. We go to one coach who says, no, this E should sound like this. Another who says, well, it's not an E at all. Someone tells you this role is perfect, then the conductor says that your style is way off, while your teacher says that it's the wrong role for your voice type completely. So how do you deal with the frustration of being corrected for the hundredth time in a completely different way? I'll be the first one to admit, I don't like critique, and on the inside, I react pretty badly. I tend to feel personally attacked, because I pour my entire heart and soul into what I'm doing, so it feels like they don't like me. Sometimes I handle my distress well because in the end I want to improve and I know that my teachers, colleagues, conductor friends are only trying to help me the best way they know how. Other times I don't react quite so well because of some hidden insecurity that I haven't broken through yet, which gives me something else to work on. These questions are a great place to start. When you feel yourself getting frustrated or angry and wanting to react negatively, take a moment and really think to yourself, Am I just feeling insecure and lashing out? Could what they're saying be true? It could be that they're actually pushing you in the right direction, but something inside you is pushing back and unwilling to make the leap. I've worked with singers who at the first coaching just look at me and say, well, no, I can't do that. At which point, I usually leave that point alone for a while. And then, oddly enough, by the next coaching, they've figured out exactly what it was and are doing it with no problems. Some people just need time to process after their initial reaction. The reverse is also true. There are also singers who try to listen to what 
every single person tells them, and they try to incorporate all of it. This is impossible. In the end, this can really muddle things up because you have so many voices in your head telling you what to do that there's no clear picture anymore, no specific image of what's right, just a whole lot of try this. I guess what I'm trying to say is have an open mind, but with a filter. Listen to what people are telling you, accept that they're trying to help you and not insulting you, but then go home, use the tools that they gave you to actively listen to other performers and deliberately practice them to figure out if and how it can work for you. For some of us, it's easy in the moment to give up and say, I can't, or no, because somebody more famous than you told me just the opposite. For others, it's easy to just try and see what happens and never make our own choice. Especially when we're all saying something different to you, it's important to consciously work through things to find out what you think. Everyone is different. One size does not fit all. That's the greatest thing about what we do. I'll post a link to the libretto for Le Nozze di Figaro and to the Amazon entry for Talent is Overrated at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. Our text for today is Ai già vinta la causa, the Count's aria from Le Nozze di Figaro. My personal subtitle for this opera is The Count's Having a Really Bad Day. To me, he's the real star of the show because he's the one at the center of every intrigue, either as the intriguer or as the one being plotted against. One of my favorite things about the Count is that whenever he sings in an ensemble, he begins the following recitative too, which is always in the same key as the ensemble ends. I always recommend to every Count that I work with that he use this to his advantage. As soon as the ensemble is finished, start the recit before anybody can do anything else. First, it gives the count control over the entire scene. Second, it keeps the drama moving forward. And thirdly, one director also explained to me that he thinks that if the count always jumps in like that, the audience gets frustrated with him too because you won't let them applaud. So it helps them identify with the storyline even more. And I should say that I live near the ambulance station here in Dresden, so you'll hear a siren going off during our interview. Completely unintentional, I promise. Hai già vinta la causa. Cosa sento? In qual laccio io cadea? Perfidi, io voglio, io voglio di tal modo punirvi. A piacer mio la sentenza sarà. Ma se i pagasse la vecchia pretendente, pagarla. In qual maniera? E poi ve Antonio, che ha un incognito figaro, ricusa di dare una nipote in matrimonio. Coltivando l'orgoglio di questo mentecatto, tutto giova un raggiro. Il colpo è fatto. Vedrò mentre io sospiro felice un servo mio, e un ben che in van disio ei posseder dovrà. Vedrò per man d'amore unita un vile oggetto, chi in me destò un affetto che per me poi non ha. Ah no, lasciarti in pace non vo questo contento. Tu non nascesti audace per dare a me tormento e forse ancora per ridere di mia infelicità. Già la speranza sola delle vendette mie quest'anima consola e giubilar mi fa. That was Simone Di Felice reading the, the, the Graf's aria, the Count's aria from Marriage of Figaro. Again, I thought we could talk about some of these verbs because right in the beginning we get cadea. Cadea. Cadea è una un'abbreviazione di cadeva. Cadeva with a v. v. Yep. 
e questa è anche una forma arcaica, cadea, so, cadeva, questa è propriamente una terza persona, mm-hmm. però in questo caso è io, quindi prima persona, first person, yeah. è una forma arcaica, oggi non si usa più, quindi sono due eccezioni, <ride> io cadeva e poi io cadea. Poi qui c'è un problema famoso, no? Eh, so, cadea, quindi chiedo scusa di nuovo, cadea, eh, la E quindi è chiusa, cadea. Yeah. So this, this E is closed and it's a standard ending that's often abbreviated. So it can either be uh, cadeva or cadea, we shouldn't get it mixed up because it's the same, same thing and the E in either case will always be closed. And you're right, we, this is the one sentence that there's always a question mark. Do we say the io or do we not say the io? Esatto, in questo caso io l'ho letto perché c'è scritto, <ride> però nella, nella musica è stato musicato in modo un po', uh, un po difficile perché c'è una sola nota, right. dove bisognerebbe dire uh, la scioio, scioio, è tutto insieme su una sola nota, exactly. come se fosse una sola sillaba. Allora io direi che si può fare effettivamente in due modi, o si dice in quella scioio cadea, quindi è abbastanza morbido, ciò io cadeva, mm-hmm. e quindi cadea, chiedo scusa, quindi ciò io, quindi non troppo ritmicamente, passare per tutte le vocali che ci sono, la ciò io cadea. You can say it with that io right there, but a very, a very gentle glide between the la ciò io and not rhythmic at all, not, not trying to make eighth notes or quarter notes out of it. Esattamente, altrimenti se... Eh, probabilmente se Mozart avesse voluto ritmicamente chiaro avrebbe scritto diversamente, avrebbe scritto probabilmente due note no? yeah. con una sillabazione esatta e l'ha stato lasciato così e quindi semplicemente pensare che l'accento principale è su io, su, sulla i e quindi in qua laccio io cadea, yeah. laccio, la o di laccio è semplicemente così, morbida di passaggio e si arriva a ciò io cadea. Yeah, so that the io becomes strong, um, because io is much more, is the stressed part of the word, in quel laccio sì. io, as opposed to the o of laccio, then you can let that be softer, be more of a glide into the word. È molto legata, eh? laccio io cadea, senza mm-hmm. nessun problema. La i di laccio non si pronuncia. Exactly, no? the, e, the, the letter i of, in laccio, it just serves to make the, the c's soft. Esattamente. E quindi così. Oppure ci sarebbe un altro modo, però sì, non è, non è certamente preferibile. Insomma, si può fare in quel in quallaccio cadea. Si può anche eventualmente togliere propriamente io, però io non lo, non lo consiglierei. So there, there is one other option, which was to get rid of the io, and you'll see this in scores. You'll actually see in some printed scores that they don't write io, but sì. that's uh, usually nowadays you hear the io, right? Recently I've heard it without and it bothers my ears now. I'm used to the io. Esatto. Eh, si può eventualmente, come si dice, sottintendere, come si dice, eh, unterdrückt, eh, yeah. in tedesco. Però, sai, siccome cadea è già una forma particolare, arcaica, di terza persona, se, io non di- se togliamo io, poi si potrebbe capire in quallaccio cadeva lui, egli. Qualcun altro, non io. I never allora thought of that. è meglio dire io, è yeah. più, più semplice. No, that's something I never thought of, but if you don't say the io, it could be he fell into the trap as opposed to I fell into the trap. So we need, we need that io to make it first person because the, the verb form is actually the same. And actually in this recitative, you and I had talked earlier about the word, the letters ei as one word. Sei, uh, sei pagasse, genau. Allora, qui EI 
è una abbreviation, un'abbreviazione di egli, dove la E è chiusa. Quindi sarebbe esattamente sei pagasse. Yeah. So this, sei pagasse. So this is it's actually the, it's basically another word for lui, right? It's he. Sì, esattamente. Poi, ripeto, mentre si canta si può un pochino... Eh? Non bisogna essere così severi. Se sei pagasse, sei pagasse, la E è un po' più aperta, non è un problema. È importante però che la E sia accentata. Yes. E non sei pagasse, ma sei pagasse, no. Sei pagasse. Yeah. Lunga la E e la I arriva all'ultimo momento. Sei pagasse. Yeah, so it's important to actually, that the stress syllable is the letter E and not the letter I. Perché altrimenti we lose the stress of the word. But, and we, but we'd also need both. You can't say se pagasse, because then we also lose the egli. We, we've lost the e. So we, we need both se. And because, again, he said, because you're singing, it doesn't have to be quite as closed as, as we want to close things. You can open it a little bit in singing, but it still has to have the sense of being a closed vowel. As opposed to a word like POI. E poi, esatto. Poi, la O è aperta. Mm-hmm. E come prima, la O è accentata e quindi la I è corta, quindi poi, poi la right. e poi le Antonio. So stress that O syllable. And again, I mean, I've talked about this a couple times, but in recitatives, of course, there, there's always re- uh, rests in the middle of the recitatives. So you have, we don't need those rests, right? We can just jump right over them. Allora, teoricamente... Andrebbe detto tutto insieme, che è un incognito figaro. Ah, forse si può aspettare un pochino dopo figaro, mm-hmm. però ricusa di dare insieme. Yeah. Devono andare insieme. Si può fare così, in italiano parlato. E poi ve Antonio, che è un incognito figaro, ricusa di dare una nipote in matrimonio. Yeah. La scam- questo si può fare, però ha ric- un incognito figaro ricusa. Exactly. So what he's saying is you could take a little pausa, a little break after Figaro, because what you're really saying is che ha un incognito Figaro, ricusa, so the verb, subject verb is che ricusa. But you cannot take a breath between, or take a break between ricusa di dare, because it refuses to give, and it makes no sense to separate those two, those things grammatically. Esattamente, però c'è un altro, ah, c'è un altro problema. Okay. Un altro problema è che ha un. Credo che sia insieme, vero? Uh-huh. <laughs> We have all these vowels that come together che again. Incogni- che ha un incognito. E questo è un altro esempio, un po' come laccio io cadea. Semplicemente prendere il tempo per dire e a u, mm-hmm. senza problemi. Che ha un incognito figaro. È importante di prendere tempo per dire e a u, ma non dividere che ha un in- che ha uni, che ha u, no. It's important to take the time to say those sounds, but they also can't be like, they can't sound like a robot either. They have to roll into each other a little bit. Esatto, come se fosse una sola vocale che cambia così, che ha un incognito. Yeah, so it's like, it's like one vowel that just changes a little bit. So you really, you almost feel as though your, your jaw is going in a circle, che ha un, because you, you start with a bright vowel and you go to that darker, that closed or u, so you go che ha un. Sì, puoi dire un'altra cosa, eh, si può, quando questo viene, diciamo così, eh, trainiert, quando si studia, quando si studia questo passo, mm-hmm. anche di non pensare che ha u, bensì di fare direttamente che ha un inco, che ha un inco, 
di fare, dire, di fare di studiare tutto il passo fino all'accento che è incognito yeah. dove la O è molto aperta quindi che ha un inco che ha un perché poi verrà che ha un incognito e verrà di nuovo in qualche modo sbagliato da qualche parte c'è un, un, un ostacolo yeah. che ha un inco yeah so make sure and always practice to the stress syllable so you get all of the sounds going into that especially when you have all of these vowels together so you want to always feel then where the stress is headed to And actually, right there, that incognito is exactly what you were talking about before with the NK sound. Incognito. Sì, incognito. Yeah, we had a couple of that in this uh, that I saw as we were going through it. In qual maniera, sì, in qua. Un ben kin van. We get both of those that you were talking about earlier in that one little sentence. Allora, qui c'è da mettere a posto alcune cose. E un... Allora, per prima cosa, non N ma M. È un ben, è un ben, la E è chiusa, è un ben, è un ben. And the U e goes un... to an M then instead of to an N, è un ben, so and the E is closed. E non pensare di dividere è un, è un, è yeah. un, è un ben. Exactly, no glottals, don't <laughs> separate them. And Kim Van, that's what you were talking about too with the V, Kim Van. Sì, Kim Van, Kim Van, io mi predico la N, suona già una V. Yep. Da qualche parte, quindi in van. Ah, è un ben. Anche si può pensare non di dover dire sia la E che la U. E U. Si può pensare E e poi c'è una M, no? Quindi E U e la U viene da sola. Yeah. Non bisogna dire U, non c'è bisogno di doverla dire. Viene da sola passando da una E U. Yeah, quindi, so, so you don't sì. really have to think about saying that U sound if you say E and then you close your lips to say an M, you automatically get an U as your lips come together. Esattamente, anche perché è molto veloce la della musica, è stato musicato in modo piuttosto... Yeah, that's, it's actually on an eighth note that è un ben, kim van, so you don't have a whole lot of time to be moving your lips around in your tongue and all of that. Sì. We have one more verb that works in here. Nascesti. Nascesti, uh, sappiamo che significa, no? Nascere. Qui abbiamo non nascesti. Lasciamo perdere, facciamo finta che è una sola parola, mm -hmm. e quindi è una N doppia. Non nascesti. So we don't, yeah, we don't separate the ends there, we would never go non na, we always just no, run them together. Non nascesti, non nascesti, è inutile, faticoso, e no, non vale la pena. Tu non nascesti, è anche molto veloce, tu non nascesti, è veloce. No, no. È molto più semplice di, di così. Exactly. Tu non nasce, non nascesti audace. Non è così difficile. No, and the, and the, the vowel, again, this is an, a normal verb ending, so nascesti is closed, right? Sì, è chiusa anche, sì, sì, è chiusa la E. Nascesti. Ecco, forse è difficile dopo, perché tu non nascestiau, stiau. E qui abbiamo molto velocemente I, A, U. Semplicemente pensare una sola vocale che cambia, iau, iau. Tu non nascesti audace. Yeah. And the, the stressed one is actually the A, right? Audace, A. We want more yeah. of the A than the other two. Esattamente. Anche per questo, questo è un altro punto. Mentre si studia, non stiau, sondern, semplicemente provare stiauda. Stiauda, arrivare direttamente dove c'è l'accento. Yeah. So yeah, so don't just try practice getting that iau, try and get to the stiaudace. So you really get okay. to that stressed syllable every time. Okay. Yeah. I have one last question because this 
I've heard the Miain Felicita probably 462 different ways. What do you like? I know what I like, but I want to know what you like. Miain Felicita. Okay, propriamente, Mia è appunto con una I accentata, quindi Mia, la I è lunga. Di Mia, di Miain Felicita. Però, diciamo che quando si canta... Tenere una I così lunga di mi in feli e poi iain iain è abbastanza complicato e non suona tanto bene. Right. Si può tentare di mi in feli, pensare mia, quindi cantare un pochino più lunga la A. Yeah. Però ecco appunto non fare mi A, mi A, non dividere I A, mm-hmm. bensì passare dalla I alla A sempre in modo un po' rotondo. Di mi in feli, mi in feli. Cantare due note, due sillabe separate, mia, uh-huh. sono mia, e poi tenerla un po' più lunga perché cantando è sicuramente meglio che mia in feli. Exactly, so rather than singing mia in feli, because the ai that's coming together feels too funny to your ears, we would rather have a, a sort of soft glide into the, or not a glide, but a soft way into that a. So, so think of the, the a as being just a little longer than you want it to be when you speak it but not a strong break. It's not mia, but mia. So that the a comes esatto. front where the e was, but just gently in there. Esattamente. E poi anche dopo la a c'è di nuovo una i, infelicità. Anche lì di nuovo passare lentamente dalla a alla i, senza puntualità. Non deve esserci un punto esatto dove viene la i o dove viene la a. È molto rotondo, arrotondato. Di mia infelicità. Yeah. E anche qui si canta mia, poi c'è una i... Allora tra la A e la F yeah. c'è una I che viene da sola, non bisogna pronunciarla. Mia infelicità. Exactly. So because you're going to go with that this end before an F, you're going to head for that M with the tail on the end of it, that, that where the, the lips, bottom lips come to the teeth. Don't even think about saying the in of infelice because when you say mia, when you go to the make that V, it's going to automatically make an E sound. I mean, especially for Americans, because we do love diphthongs. So anytime we close our mouths, we do tend to go to E. Quindi in questi casi veramente non preoccuparsi di, uh, di separare le vocali. Anzi, uh, cercare di, 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 di renderle uh, simili tra di loro e di non, fare, di non cercare un ritmo esatto dove debba arrivare la nuova vocale. Yeah. So, exactly, so don't, actually don't even try to put it on a specific rhythm. Try to keep it as soft as you can. Try to keep the, that rhythm as relaxed as you can so that we just hear the words as opposed to hearing mi infeli. <laughs> If you haven't listened to episode 44 yet, then you didn't hear us talk about the possible assimilation of N with the following consonant. And I wanted to correct and clarify what I said last week in any case. The rule that Simone had talked about, and which we discussed here again, is that an N before phonetic G or K becomes the phonetic letter N with the hook on the right that we know from a word like singer. An N before a B, P, or M can become just a regular phonetic M, like in the case of umbeldi, while an N before F or V can become the very fun M with the hook on the right, where the lower lip and the top teeth meet, like in the word infelice. 
Last episode, I said pretty much in passing that both Colorni and David Adams mention these assimilations, but both say that they're a choice. Colorni's Singer's Italian, in fact, only mentions the N before the G in K, and says that either one is perfectly acceptable, either singing a phonetic N or a phonetic N, because the N is pronounced further front in the mouth with an N. So you have the choice. David Adams, who, by the way, was my diction teacher back at CCM, says that while this N before a G or K is often sung as a phonetic N, it might still be better to sing the N with the hook sound in order to avoid the shadow vowel that can crop up between the N and the next consonant. In all the other books, they all say that N before G or K should be the N with the hook without exception. As for the other two possible assimilations, David Adams' Handbook for Singers is the only one I found that even mentions them. In the case of N before B, P, or M, he says either a phonetic N or M is possible, while the M with the hook on the right before F or V is possible but not absolutely necessary to sound Italian. The way I look at it is this. Which one's easier? If you're way up in the stratosphere, pulling up your tongue to really make an N is probably going to tense your jaw and disturb the line. Much easier on a phrase like un bel di to say un bel di just because you're going to say the B anyway, and both of these versions are completely intelligible. In a word like infelicità, Simone suggested that we relax all those vowels so that we don't have a specific rhythm. By not trying to absolutely close the mouth to say mia infelicità, we can help that process, even though it's not so high. All of these leave us with both options, and you will have people coach you both ways. Remember what I said at the beginning of the episode? Don't get frustrated. Practice them both ways, actively listen to what other performers are doing, and then make a conscious choice which way you want to sing it. Most of us coaches will let people get away with almost anything, as long as it's a conscious decision that you can back up by having done your homework. One of the main things that Simone said several times was that when we have several vowels together on one note, there should be no strong sense of rhythm in dividing them out. Composers of that time period especially assumed that everyone who would sing their operas spoke that language, so they placed a ton of vowels on one note, knowing that we would understand automatically how to separate them. But nowadays, we approach diction without really having the languages in our ears, so our coaches or teachers write in an eighth note or a quarter note to help us understand where the vowels go. Once you've done that, however, your job is to make the shift between the vowels very organic with no sharp edges. I also love that Simone says you don't always have to consciously make all the vowels. As we Americans know, we have a tendency to make diphthongs out of anything anyway. So this is one time where we can use that to our advantage. Germans have diphthongs too, but they tend not to close in exactly the same way as English. So be sure that the last vowel of the diphthong goes to the correct phonetic letter. As we've said before, this happens all over Italian repertoire. And in my opinion, it's the greatest way to check if your vowels are all lining up well. If you hear a huge shifting in placement when you sing miain, then the ah vowel is probably shifting back too far, which automatically gives us a strong rhythm that we don't want. 
Simone also did a great job of showing how that IAI placement can all match up together without falling out of the line. I often come back to this in my coaching because most other languages have an AH vowel that's slightly too far back. Pointing that AH vowel brighter up into the E position will not only sound more Italian and avoid extra beats the music, but it'll also sing more easily. One other important thing that Simone said was to practice all these vowel groupings by heading to the following stressed syllable. He's completely right. We tend to get so stuck on mia felicita that we lose track of the stress of the word, which is, of course, ta. If the beginning gets too rhythmic, there's no way to actually stress the correct syllable because what we've done before has been too stressed. And before I forget, say the io at the beginning of the recit. In qualaccio io cadea. First of all, it's done that way much more often nowadays, and secondly, it makes it clear who is falling into the trap. Simone had one last piece of advice for us, something that always bears repeating when it comes to Italian. Posso dire un'altra piccola ehm, regola che mi viene in mente? Ecco, in italiano, appunto, non ci sono queste ha, non ci sono queste situazioni dove viene fuori l'aria senza suono, diciamo ha, e questo porta gli italiani a fare tanti errori, in tedesco e in inglese. Però attenzione, quando si canta in italiano, anche all'inizio di una parola, se si vuole caricare una consonante, si può fare, però te o da ca, questo è meglio di no, questo non si può fare. In tedesco funziona e in italiano no, quindi coraggio, da strike zone. Yeah, exactly. So what he's saying is that in, when you have a consonant, which in English or in German would be, as we, we call it aspirate. So you have a T, P's are also bad, P's are tough, K, Kappa. In Italian... <laughs> in Italian, we, we don't want that puff of air. We don't want the H after it. We want povera. We want, we want coraggio. Violetta, oh, violetta, violetta, oh, that's nice, yeah. No aspirate T's, K's, or P's. This is something that's easy to say, but we get into the excitement of being on stage, we want to stress a word, and suddenly we have col suono orribile, which is just too much K. Just like with the schwa, we transcribe all of these letters exactly the same in every language, but they don't necessarily sound the same. With the K, the easiest thing to do is just to start with the back of the tongue up and let it go. This also gives us a really steady airflow. With P's, it's the same principle with the lips. Start with them together and release the lips without that extra puff of air. T's, remember, are dentalized. So hopefully, just by putting it in that front position, it'll help remind us all not to blow out that extra air when the vowel comes. Now, this is also exactly the opposite of what I say with German and English, where we have to spit out those consonants to make them travel as far as possible. When I first studied diction at Carnegie Mellon, my teacher Larry Marietta made us put a sheet of paper in front of our mouths, holding only the bottom, and say these consonants. If you see the top of the paper move, you're doing too much. It's a simple way to check yourself 
and something you can sit and do several times throughout the day whenever you have a few extra seconds because no one's really surprised to see someone looking at a piece of paper. They don't have to know that you're practicing your Italian diction. And that's all for today. We're in tech rehearsals for Alcina right now, so I'll try to keep on schedule with the next episode, but I can't make any promises. Keep an eye on the Facebook page to find out how things are coming along. If you'd like to know more about Simone Di Felice, or if you have any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please visit the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and give it a high rating so that others can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.